I ask you to grab your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 8. Um, we had a great plan. It was an awesome plan. Today was going to be the day that um, we're going to honor Adam and Karen with a reception for years and years of service, and Adam was going to preach, and he talked about how, he, he would talk in the message about how God had really worked in his life, and everything had been put together, and it was all part of God's plan, and he was praying, God open a door, and God open doors, and it was going to be perfect. And then my phone rang about 1.50 yesterday afternoon, and he said, um, how would you feel about doing a wedding today at 3 o'clock? And I was going to the wedding. I wasn't planning on doing the wedding. I said, well, I'd be glad to help. What happened? His back went out, and he couldn't literally get off the floor. He had a physical therapist over there working on him. And I said, I'll do the wedding. I'll preach the sermon. You have to be at FCC at 930. If we have to bring in a hospital bed in the Family Life Center, you have to be at FCC. And he will be at FCC at 930. Now, here's the good news. He was actually hoping that uh, the Brucker family would move this week to Cincinnati, but due to closings and all kinds of other stuff, it's not going to happen until next week. So you're still going to get to hear Adam's final message. It's just going to be next Sunday, but instead you're stuck with me this morning. And I, I was really wrestling at the wedding reception yesterday. What, what should I preach? What should I do? Uh, we're getting ready to dive into the core values. We were supposed to start next week. Do we start early with that? And I decided that I would lean on, and I know some of you are getting tired of me talking about it, our daily Bible reading and pick a passage from the, the scripture reading from today and go down that road. And so today's Bible reading is from Luke chapter 8. And in Luke chapter 8, we see the parable of the sower, the parable of of the sower. So we're going to spend some time this morning looking at the parable of the sower. Grab your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, grab a pew Bible, turn to Luke chapter 8. If you don't own a Bible, take a pew Bible, make it yours, cross out where it says First Christian Church and write your name. The only thing we want you to do is we want you to read it. We want you to read it every day. We want you to do the Bible reading challenge with us. Now, before I get there, a couple quick announcements. There is a reception following first service. Really hope that you will go up and you will encourage Karen Rice, who retired as our office manager December 31st, although she's still helping us out with the training and, and et cetera that's taking place in the office. But um, head on up, encourage Karen, encourage the Bruckers. We are doing the reception today. And uh, some have asked, is there going to be a place that you can leave a card and or a gift? There will be baskets for that for both Adam and for Karen. Two weeks from tonight is Fan the Flame. Carrollton will be playing along with the Prodigal Worship Band uh, based out of LCU. Samuel leads that. It's a great group. You'll want to come out at 5 o'clock that night. You can get tickets ahead of time in the office here at the church or on iTickets, or you can get them at the door. We would love to pack the place. Again, all the money, all the ticket money will be given away. There's an incredible mission. Today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. We're actually going to launch the Baby Bottle Fundraiser next Sunday, but today is actually the day. And uh, the mission that we're supporting for Fan the Flame is called Mission Preborn. And this is an organization that is invested literally all over our country, all over the world, making a difference in the fight for life. And it is a fight. It really is a fight. And so your ticket money will go straight to Mission Preborn. 100% of the money will, will go for pro-life causes. Even if you're not coming to fan the flame, 
because maybe the music is a little louder than you appreciate, you can still give me money made out to fan the flame, and I promise you 100% of that will go to Mission Preborn and the incredible work that they are doing. And then the last thing I want to let you know, ladies, second year in a row we're hosting the IF Gathering. That's February 3rd and 4th, and you can sign up in the foyer or see uh, Leanne Saussman or Mandy Reese for more information. It's a great weekend together. I have a Facebook friend, he's actually a real friend, uh, who became a Facebook friend, and he, he lives about 35 minutes from here, his name is Justin, and um, he, he's pretty prominent in terms of the number of posts that he will share, and, and one of the things that, that he shares every fall that just cracks me up is, he is a seasonal farmer, he, he's really um, an aide to a, to a huge farming outfit in the Hartsburg area, and, and he is on the tractor from about 6 o'clock in the morning until about 10 o'clock at night through much of harvest. And he will send me little snapshots of time in the combine, time in the, the, the tractor, all that is happening. And it reminds me how different farming is in 21st century central Illinois from the first century world in which Jesus ministered in. It's just a totally different operation. We're talking combines that might cost $500,000. We're talking major, major operations. But in, in the time of Jesus, as he shares this parable about farming, that's not the image that the people hearing this parable would have in mind. They wouldn't see huge machinery. They, they wouldn't see dozens of people being hired by a conglomerate to, to, to farm 10,000 acres. No, what they would see is a guy with a, with a bag just kind of slinging seed. That's the image that they would have. And that's why this parable really makes sense if you think about it as Jesus tries to draw this connection between agriculture and, and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. So let me read all of the parable. Let, let me help you understand the parable. And then let me bring it to 2017 and what in the world that has to do with us. So Luke chapter 8, beginning with verse 4, it says, While a large crowd was gathering... And people were coming to Jesus from town after town. He told a parable. He said, a farmer went out to sow a seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And it was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. And some fell on the rock. And when it came up, the plants withered because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. And when he said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now his disciples asked him what this parable meant. Jesus said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that, and then he quotes Old Testament, though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. Verse 11, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Verse 13, those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in, time, in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, 
But as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, they retain it, and by persevering, they produce a crop. And that's the parable of the sower. The, the cool thing about the parable of the sower is this is one of just a handful of parables that you find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so that tells me right away as Matthew and Mark and Luke were writing it, they really felt like this parable had to be a part of their gospel. It had to be a part of the message that was being communicated. So, so what do we know? Jesus explains a lot of this, but the seed stands for the word of God. And to sow is to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's all about evangelism. And I don't care if you're a part of this church or another church. Really, any church worth their weight is going to preach and teach and, and, and make evangelism a priority. What about the farmer? Followers of Jesus Christ. And then what about the soil? People hearing and or receiving the gospel. And so the usual question of this parable, I've heard this preached and taught many times, and the usual question of this parable is, where should I sow seed? Where do I sow seed? Do, do I sit down and consider 61727, and do, do I try to decide where are people most likely to be open to hearing the good news of Jesus and I spent all my time and I spent all my energy really trying to find that heart that's open to the gospel. Is that how we move forward? That's the usual question of the parable. Well, in Luke chapter 8, there are four different places, according to this parable, that the seed fell. And I think that it's really interesting that it connects with our world today kind of hook, line, and sinker. Seed falling on the path. What, what does that symbolize? What does that stand for? Well, that stands for people who are indifferent. The indifferent who is resistant to the truth. Have you ever shared the good news of Jesus? Have you ever invited someone to come to church? Have you ever just had any kind of a faith conversation and you could just tell by the reaction that, that was given to you, they wanted no part of it at all? I had the opportunity back in the fall to spend a, a long weekend with Jacob and Jordan and about 100 people out in New England celebrating Restoration House Ministries' 20th anniversary. And I, I talked a little bit about this in, in a previous message, but getting out there was like the worst travel experience of my life. It was just awful. Anything that could go wrong went wrong. And the thing that stressed me the most, and I'm embarrassed to even say this, but my phone stop charging. And so I was really frustrated by that. I had the, the charger and I had the connection and I had the computer, but it wouldn't charge. And you would think, big deal, right? Do you really need your phone? You forget how dependent you are on something until you don't have it anymore. And so I was in downtown Chicago killing some time. The train had dropped me off. I was going to catch a flight out of Midway later. And I decided I will go to the Apple store. And I went to the Apple store, and I walked in, and, and that's not like a fruit store. It's like Apple products, you know, phones and computers and stuff. And I get there, and there's like a two-hour wait. I'm like, ah, you're kidding me. And the guy said, well, maybe I can squeeze you in earlier. Maybe. Give me an email address, and I'll try to squeeze you in. 
So I said, no problem, Greg at ClintonFCC.com. And man, his eyes lit up. He goes, are you a part of the Clinton Foundation? Do you know Bill and Hillary Clinton? And I just laughed. I shouldn't have laughed. That wasn't respectful. But um, I said, no, I've never met the Clintons. No, it stands for Clinton FCC First Christian Church. And he went from excitement and, hey, can I get your autograph, to there is no way I'm working you in, buddy. No way whatsoever. Just the term Christian and church just totally changed his countenance. And, you know, we have people in our community that when it comes to the faith, they want no part of it. They have no desire whatsoever. And these are the folks that Jesus is talking about here. The indifferent who are resistant to the truth. What about seed falling on the rock? Seed falling on the rock stands for the shallow, and they're excited for a while, but they're going to eventually fall away because there's not going to be any root system developed, spiritually speaking. That's why I am so passionate about daily Bible reading. That's why we're launching a Bible memory class. It's probably going to take place at the YMCA. It's probably going to be bigger than just our church. We're going to try to get as many people as possible to get together probably 11 o'clock on Mondays for 30, 35, 40 minutes to memorize God's Word. Two verses a week we're going to try to memorize. Because the fear that I have, I've seen it play out, especially in the lives of teenagers, is they go to camp, they go to CIY, they go on the mission trip, they have a Jesus moment. They are on the mountaintop. All is good. And then they get back to their regular environment. They get back to their regular context. And it's not so warm and fuzzy anymore. And all of a sudden, that time at camp, that time at the mission trip, that time at CIY, it was just kind of a moment. And nothing really changes. I think the church, and I don't mean our church exclusively, but I mean the church we have to do a better job of helping people really develop that root system, spiritually speaking. That's why I am so passionate that if all you do is come to Sunday morning worship, I'm glad that you come. Please keep coming, but you need more. This parable tells us that some, they'll be on fire for a season, but if they don't have that root system, if they don't have that base, they'll eventually fade away. What about the seed falling on the thorns? I believe this stands for those who are distracted. Those who are all in, those who are are all good with Jesus, save me from my sins. Jesus, come and be my Savior, but they get caught up in the busyness and the craziness of our culture, of our world, of our life. I have a friend that ministers up in the Chicago area, And he had a a family come to him a couple years ago, really broken. The marriage was in trouble. One of the teenagers had went prodigal. And um, the wife was just kind of a basket case. And in the process of discussing this, she kind of confessed, you know what? We were trying to be the perfect American family. Kids in travel basketball. Girl in, you know, travel volleyball trying to do the, the, the monthly getaways. And she said, we went three and a half months and didn't get to church one time. And she said, I really think Satan absolutely seized the moment. 
And she said, we're broken. And we need help. And can I tell you, that's an illustration that resonates with a lot of people in our world and our culture today. I, I think youth sports are great. I think family trips are great. I think camping is outstanding for some of you. I'm not a big camper, but for some of you, camping's awesome. Heading to the lake is awesome. But if we get so busy doing all the other stuff and we miss what really matters most, we'll get distracted and we'll forget the truth. And before long, we no longer have that habit of regular worship. We no longer have that habit of regular spiritual development. We no longer have that habit of being in the Word. For some of you, you're saying, I don't know if I can read a chapter a day. I've never done that before. I guarantee you that if you build that into your routine every morning or every evening or during your, your lunchtime or your break time, and you start doing it, you do it for a week and then for another week and then for another week, that's a routine being developed. And, and you'll make it happen. It'll become a part of your life. But it can stop just as easily. It can go away just as easily if you don't make that a priority. What about the seed falling on the good soil? This stands for the responsive who are going to live the truth but are also going to reproduce. So I, so I go back to the question that I asked, you know, what's the point of this parable? What's the big idea of this parable? Well, I really believe it's not about finding the heart that is ready and giving them the gospel. You, you kind of make the tour at McDonald's, and you just kind of, you, you try to assess all the people drinking coffee. Okay, is he open or not? I don't know. I'm going to pass on him. Is she open? She might be. I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to bring out my plan. That's not what this parable is about. Here's what this parable is about. It's about sowing and sowing and sowing and sowing. You're at McDonald's. You're sowing seed. You're at the basketball game, you're sowing seed. You're on vacation, you're sowing seed. Break time at work, you're sowing seed. Basketball practice, sowing seed. Neighborhood cookout, sowing seed. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you're sowing seed. So what? So what do we do with Luke chapter 8 this morning? Well, I want to just leave you with four suggestions. And number one is this, because I know for a lot of you right now, you're thinking... Preacher, that sounds great. I'm not an evangelist. That's not my thing. I can't make my child that's not a follower of Jesus become a Christian. I can't make my spouse who's not a follower of Jesus become a Christian. I can't make my coworker. I can't make my neighbor. And you're right. You can't make them. Number one is this. You're not called to force conversations on people that don't want to have them, but you are called to sow seed. And that means you have to have your life pretty well put together. You can't be a raging lunatic at work and plan to talk to people about Jesus. You can't be a mean-spirited, heartless individual. Not that anyone in this place would be, of course. But you can't do that and then turn on the Jesus light. Flip that switch. So, so you need to live the life. But here's the scripture that's always helped me. It's the scripture that the Apostle Paul used to talk to the Corinthian Christians about this exact thing. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, he says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered the seed, but God made it grow. 
And so you're not called to force people to do something they don't want to do. But you are called to sow seed. You are called to look for opportunities to be a beacon of light. When I go, and I'll get this call six, seven times a year, someone will say, you know, my son really needs Jesus. Or my husband really needs Jesus. Or my mom really needs Jesus. Will you go call on him? And, And I make those calls. And I sit down. And I've got to be honest with you, most of the time the person that, that I'm visiting with, they don't know that I'm coming. And to say that they're underwhelmed by my presence would be the understatement of the year. They really don't want to hear from the preacher, quite frankly. But you know who they would listen to? Is you. The person that has integrity with them already. The person that has a relationship with them already the person that's gained integrity with them in life. And so don't be afraid to say, I'm going to sow seed wherever I go, whatever I do. Number two, you're not called to memorize the entire Bible, although I do want to challenge you to memorize some of the Bible, but you are called to share the plan of salvation with others. Peter, late in his life, says this, always be prepared to give an answer. To everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And so what someone says to you, um, why, are you a, why, why do you go to First Christian Church? Why do you hang out at the big church at the corner of um, Washington and, and what is this street out here? Jackson, is that right, I think? Why do you hang out there? i got to take my coat off. This microphone's driving me crazy. I'm sorry. Is that helping, taking that off? Is that better? Okay, so it's the coat. That's the problem. We've been trying to figure out what the feedback is. It's my coat. Um, why do you go to that church? Well, don't say because they have awesome coffee on Sunday mornings, even though it's great to have a nice cup of coffee. Don't say because it's the most beautiful sanctuary I've ever been to, although you'd be hard-pressed to find a more beautiful sanctuary, in my humble opinion. Say something like, because every Sunday I walk away ready to live for Jesus this week. Say, because sometimes I'll walk into that building and I'm down and I'm discouraged. And after worship and after prayer and after encouragement from fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and the scripture that's shared that day, it's like the greatest pick-me-up I could have ever asked for. You share an answer like that, people will want to know more. Now, eventually you're going to have to give them more. And really, there are three plans of salvation that I encourage people to to know and to be able to share and to be able to recite. We'll put them up on the screen. The Roman Road, the ABCD to Jesus, and the Five Finger Exercise. And uh, we've actually printed these. We've, We've got them out there. If you want copies of them, we can get them to you. What is the Roman Road? It's six scriptures from the book of Romans that, that talk about how do I come to Jesus. It starts with 3.23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5.8 talks about God's unconditional love. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 actually talk about how important it is to, to have belief in Jesus and to publicly confess Jesus. Romans 6 talks about baptism. Every time there's a baptism, we had a baptism last Sunday, we read Romans 6. 
because it's a beautiful picture of, of, of why baptism matters, the new life that it brings. And then we end with Romans 12, 1 and 2. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Don't conform anymore, but be transformed. Bob Russell, maybe the most famous Christian church preacher in, in the last 30, 40 years, came up with what's called the ABCD to Jesus. And, and I like this. I think it's really easy to kind of connect with. A stands for admit that you're a sinner. And there's scripture you can throw in there, like Romans 3.23. B, believe in Jesus. It starts with belief. You're not just going through the motions. It's not just, you know, make sure I don't go to hell time. You really need to believe in Jesus. C is confession, confessing Jesus is Lord. And then D is you're demonstrating that by repenting of your sins and being baptized. And then five-finger exercise, this is old school. This goes back to the very roots of the restoration movement. We're part of the restoration movement. And one of our founding fathers was a guy by the name of Walter Scott. He actually ministered not far from here in Jacksonville, Illinois. He was an incredible evangelist, and he had the five-finger exercise, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, live the Christian life. Allison leads a week at camp every summer. Our church does, um, has a lot of the faculty uh, are, are from this church. And a big thing that we do with the 5th and 6th graders is we try to help them understand five-finger exercise. How do I become a follower of Jesus? I believe, I repent, I confess, I decide to be baptized, I live the Christian life. And so I know I'm like flying and some of you are trying to write, stop writing if you want to and just let me know later I can get that to you. But everybody, everyone, I don't care if you're a brand new baby Christian or, or you're at a season of life where, where you think, I, I'm never going to lead anybody to Jesus. Everybody needs to be able to articulate, how do I come to faith in Jesus? Number three, you are not called to be successful, but you are called to be faithful. I was thinking about Jeremiah this week. Jeremiah the prophet. Maybe, maybe the most faithful of all the prophets. That's a hard thing to quantify. Um, ministered during just an awful time in the history of God's people. He saw the fall of Jerusalem. He himself was exiled to, to Egypt while God's people were exiled to Babylon. You read through the book of Jeremiah, a lot of discouraging times. And he was always faithful. Always, always was there to bring the word. Sometimes he brought the word, and the king didn't like the word, and so he threw him in jail. One time he threw him in a cistern. Always faithful. And so you're not called to be successful, you're called to be faithful. And it may be that there are people in your world that don't know Jesus, and you could sow seed till the cows come home. And, and their, heart, their heart is so hard, they're not willing to hear it. But God knows you're being faithful. God knows you're sowing seed. Um, my favorite New Testament sermon in the book of Acts, and we're actually going to look at this on Easter Sunday this year, is Acts 17, when Paul goes to Athens, the intellectual capital of the first century world, and, and he preaches at Mars Hill to a gathering of the Areopagus, all the really, really smart people, and he's doing great. And then he mentions the resurrection. And, man, the people there, they're just, they're laughing at him. The resurrection? He rose from the dead. They, they really, they can't believe that someone in their right mind 
could actually promote the resurrection. And, and that sermon ends with this note from Luke in verse 34. It says that just a few became followers of Paul and believed. And by followers of Paul, what he's saying is they became followers of Jesus. They bought what Paul was preaching. They accepted the resurrection. And they said, I'm in. Not a lot of people. Just a few. Paul wasn't very successful that day in terms of um, statistics. There were sermons that he preached that many, many, many more people came to faith in Jesus Christ. But boy, was he faithful. He went toe-to-toe, nose-to-nose with the intellectual giants of the day, and he didn't water it down. He preached the resurrection. He was faithful, despite not being very successful. And then finally, number four, we are not called to create club members or pew sitters or occasional attendees. FCC is called to make disciples, followers of Jesus. And so is it, so, is it okay if someone becomes an occasional attendee? They become a pew sitter to begin? Yeah. But I think one of the things that the modern church has done a disservice to a lot of people is um, we have really not helped people understand the cost of being a follower of Jesus. We've undersold what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We've fallen into what I think um, Bonhoeffer talked about, kind of the cheap grace. Yeah, come to Jesus. If you don't change, that's okay. Just come to Jesus. Your life's fine as it is. Just come to Jesus. When a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, they should be a new creation. The old must go. The new must arrive. And so what's the bottom line for this morning? It's simply this. Wherever you go, whoever you know, your call is simple. Sow seed. Sow seed. That's your call. That's what it's all about. I saw on Twitter this week this phrase, trust God and spread the gospel. Spread the gospel and trust God. That's really what this is all about. Saying, God, I can't do it all by myself. I'm, I'm not smart enough. I'm not wise enough. I, I can't win a lot of debates all by myself. It's really not about trying to win debates. It's about sowing seed and trusting God and leaving it to him. Bottom line, wherever you go, whatever you do, sow seed. In the name of Jesus, let's pray. God, thanks for today. And I just, I pray right now that um, we will always be a people who always have on our radar people that don't know your son, Jesus Christ. And that that'll always be a part of our, our lives. That'll always be a part of the world in which we live. That we'll never, ever grow tired uh, of being salt and being light and making a difference in your name. God, I thank you that Jesus was able to talk in parables in a way that um, really allowed so many to, to come alive. And it's my, my uh, hope and my prayer that this week and this year we'll be a people that sow seed 
wherever we go in your name. We love you so much. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.